Hey, fellas, this episode of the Are We Chill podcast is brought to you by our favorite producers of ball trimmers, Manscaped. The global leaders in the below-the-waist grooming are leaving 2021 with a new product to clean yourself into the new year with their ultra-premium body wash. Listen, I love this body wash. I use it in the Big Cat Shower every day. You're smelling fresh, fresh and minty clean. So clean yourself up when you head into the new year with the Big Cat, CG, and Dusty with the Are We Chill podcast and our code, Are We Chill. Use today for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Four million men are already using this, and it's the trusted Manscaped tool. Time to join them now in the 2022. And hey, enjoy the episode. gentlemen welcome back to the are we chill podcast today is december 23rd 2021 this is going to be a fun one everybody first of all merry christmas and a happy new year from the boys at the are we chill podcast we are certainly going to enjoy it all together and please enjoy your families as well but this episode we really wanted to release it um during the Christmas time frame, and we recorded it a few weeks ago in, in uh, Venice Beach, California. My goodness, was this an unbelievable adventure with our older brother, Peter Getz. Today's guest of the Are We Chill podcast, mine, Corey's, Ashley's, Dusty's older brother, Peter, is joining the podcast. And man, this guy has a story. Obviously, we look up to him as an older brother, but man, running through the Amazon, running from the cartel, starting as a producer and a cameraman on the hit show Survivor. And now today, you know, working in the entertainment business um, with his own company called Backroads Pictures. But we really get into Peter's story, you know, going to Berkeley, you know, learning from our beautiful Oma on the, 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 the scholastic part of life. And then now him uh, bringing that into the world. But he just shares an unbelievable story, obviously, uh, how much our sister means to Peter and all of us. And it really hits home. You know, it's a, it's a different episode because we're we're dealing with uh, the real life story of our family and we love it. And it was good to have the brothers together. Peter took us in, across the boardwalk in Venice Beach. We had a beautiful dinner that night, too. And I mean, shoot, we were dancing with a guy on roller skates, uh, colored roller skates that lit up like the old wheelies. And we were dancing like a bunch of banshees in Venice Beach. But it really hits home again, uh, the family aspect of how we are and who we are. And uh, you'll hear that today on the episode, even Peter's music career. He's going to even play a little song. So I want everybody to really hold your family tight this Christmas. It's been a hell of a year, a crazy year. And thanks for coming along the ride with us. And we're ending the year appropriately with family and Peter. So, Peter, thanks again for joining us. We love you. Can't wait to see you. And please stay tuned for this episode. We're here in Venice Beach, California with our brother, our older bro, Peter Getz. And I got to say, it is so fucking nice to be here. Peter, thanks for having us, man. Thanks for coming, Bobcat. Yeah, it's me. Peter's a huge fan of the, the the pod. You know, he loves listening. He showed us that he's number, we're his number two favorite podcast right now. 
But um, this is a long time coming. Sorry, dude. guys. Sorry. Dude, <laughs> I'm thinking one more one would be the – you could have lied and made the two of one, but it's cool. But, no, this is amazing being up here, man. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, buddy. It's great to be here. How do you boys think? What do you think about Peter's pad? Love it. Perfect vibration. Walk in If here. I'm a chick, this is it for me. Like, I'm, oh my I'm God. sold. Yeah. Done I'm deal. Done. Sealed. Candles, wood, <laughs> books. Vintage. Vintage. What's this thing called again, Dusty? Record player. Record player. Uh, yeah, dude, I'm sold. Like, this place is amazing. Beautiful. This is, this is you. It's so, all about the details. When did you get into this place? I just got it uh, two months ago, September. Nice. Yeah. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. It's been good. I was too far from the ocean. I was a mile away before, so now, I, How far um, now I'm steps from the sand. Wow. I think it's about 150. So, anyway, what have you been up to lately? I've been good. I, I um, have been traveling through the pandemic. I went out to Africa for six different trips on a, a new documentary project in the north of Kenya. And it's been a crazy mission. Like right when uh, Kenya opened up their borders again, we went over with a small crew and started a new documentary about conservation and climate change in the north. And other than that, now I'm home getting yeah. ready for the holiday. Yes, we are. And You've always been the wheel traveler, obviously out of all of us, and that's what makes you so unique. And that, this past year, it was kind of a stall for you. It was paused. Mm. Well, I mean, that must have been just like, like a shock to the system. Right? Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Like when lockdown hit, I had just come back from a trip, my first scout to Kenya. I did a 10-day trip from the Amboseli uh, National Park in the south all the way up to the north of Laikipia. And it was a whirlwind mission and then basically passed through New York and landed. And then like three days later, we were on lockdown. And <clears throat> that was uh, in 20 some years. I've been traveling since like 2000 regularly. Those four months that I was grounded during lockdown was the longest I'd been in one place. Wow. And that just must have been just crazy. Yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. I mean, I think it was, I had a few epiphanies through that time because mm-hmm. I think when you're constantly kind of chasing your tail, going from one adventure, one project to the next, you, they, all the journeys sort of start blending into one. And it was a great opportunity to just like know that it's, it was okay to stay still. I actually like found my footing. I, cultivated friendships that like I oftentimes don't get to and then even just you know with friends and family being able to like be around a little more instead of just the guy that's always in and out and on on the fly yeah any new hobbies you picked up when you were at home yeah like every other knucklehead I I built out a big garden big big garden in the back of my backyard and um yeah created like four different garden patches started making bone broths and roasted chickens and and feeding the neighborhood they'd come over like every once we started opening up to like seeing other people i would have like 10 person dinners in the back like every two weeks and that was awesome man it was great to just be able to like be grounded for a little bit reflect on 20 years of traveling and and know that like I 
I can stay in one place and and feel good and feel like rooted on my two feet. Yeah, it's interesting when you're not in control, it, it teaches you a lot sometimes and me personally. Well, let's go back to, you know, you, not quite Berkeley days, but your younger days in Manhattan. What was that? How was that for you and growing up in that area, surfing and, you know, you played volleyball? I mean, what was that like, you know, growing up in Manhattan as a kid? Uh, Manhattan Beach was a dream to grow up in. Like uh, back in the 80s, it was a little bit more of a sleepy beach town. And uh, mom had a flower shop right on the main drag and I basically grew up in that shop and and it was like right on a walk street again steps from the beach uh, so I'd spend like a lot of days just helping helping her like wash buckets strip roses and and then also just run around causing trouble with my my best friends surfing a lot I started surfing when I was five years old and uh, the beach culture has always been like deeply embedded in my life yeah you spent a lot of time too with our Oma, growing up, and I was I was telling Dusty the other day we were at the table. I said how much of an intelligent guy you are. From I think it would be a lot in due to Oma helping. Yeah. And can you speak a little bit in your earlier years how much Oma had an impact on your life as a kid? Yeah, uh, Oma was like she was amazing. She, I think I was having like a little bit of trouble. Uh, with reading and writing when I was like in kindergarten first grade and she used to pick me up every day after school in her she'd roll up in her jag and like um she just would always sort of bribe me with Zweebox, these like German cookies. <laughs> and Oma's our grandmother by the way. That's our grandma. Yeah. And um, then we would go to the library and just like she'd sit sit with me for a couple hours and just like go through books and and writing and she's a super intelligent woman, such a badass, you know. Like yeah. she obviously um, ran from Nazi Germany. I think she was like eight or, eight or nine or something, and saw her synagogue burn managed to get her dad out of a concentration camp and then uh wow, yeah the you know sh actually i just like when hanukkah we don't really celebrate like i don't know we're not a super religious family but whenever hanukkah rolls around i think about her and i light some candles and just like pay my my respects because mm -hmm. she used to run leather i think i don't know if you guys talked about this with dad but uh you know, she lived on the Upper East Side, and um, she would go, like, down into the depths of downtown Manhattan once they moved from Europe, and she would sling leather goods to different vendors at, like, 11 years old. Wow. And um, she told me one story of, like, a crazy moment when she left all the leather on the subway and, like... You know, it was one of, like, I think at, at 11 years old, it was a pretty big mess up. But, uh, yeah, just a very resilient woman that, like, always called it as she saw it, and it's a huge inspiration. We have a lot of Oma in all of us, and Opa, for sure. You know, both very different people, but you can see we all have in our personality, we have a lot of that. Um, we also got Corey here. We got Dusty in the house. Yeah. What a change of scenery. Um, we're so used to being in Data Point in Orange County, 
And I know it's been a struggle to get up here <laughs> in your neck of the woods. Long overdue. Um, right now, we're talking to the mayor of Venice Beach, um, the west side of L.A. Anytime we come up here, it's always just a wild time. And Peter, obviously, has lived on the west side for most of his life. And, I mean, just being being able to, to roam around here with you is always a special We'll time. find out tonight. I think I haven't yeah. really seen it until tonight. So we'll find out. The mayor. the mayor. So how does it feel to be the mayor of Venice Beach? <laughs> it feels pretty good. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy that... the possibilities that come with it. Yeah, it's, you know, I'm really happy that the constituents, they elected me mayor and they supported my campaign. And I'm looking forward to running again in uh, 2022. Beautiful. No, it's awesome, man. Like, Venice is my home, and I've been charmed by this place since I went to Berkeley. I tried to move back to Manhattan Beach, and... I um, just quickly felt like I was pretty out of place, even though I grew up there. I worked on the newspaper at Berkeley and like mm -hmm. was exposed to so many different walks of life, living you know in Berkeley, skirting Oakland and San Francisco. Venice felt like kind of like the Berkeley by the beach, yep. and we'll see later when we hop on the bikes. We can there's just like all these different colorful street performers and. I think when I first landed here, I was really like enamored by um, this stretch of beach. It's like the most diverse makeup of any beach in the world. Uh, you've got all kinds of folks like, you know, rich, poor, every color of the rainbow. And uh, yeah, anything goes here in Venice. And I think historically it's it was built upon that kind of vision of the arts and culture and diversity and a sort of worldly outlook. And uh, I think today it still it still remains in like a different iteration. They all got their own flavors from Berkeley to Venice, and then you and, and then Brooklyn too. You know, spend time talk about that. Spend time out in Brooklyn as well, splitting time between Venice and Brooklyn. Yeah, I mean, I moved to New York for a show running gig uh, for Discovery Channel, and I I spent about a year and a half working for them uh, on a couple different projects landed in brooklyn i it was funny i first um i was kind of bouncing around trying out different neighborhoods uh, through B airbnb and then i ended up meeting this beautiful girl that was an airbnb host of course and she she ended up being my first girlfriend in new york like she we talked for like three hours when she gave me the keys and then she left for a week came back to go get you know, pick up like a dress for a wedding and then we went out on the town and then she basically moved back into her place and i stayed for a little bit and then i ended up branching off getting my own spot just down the street and yeah i live like on the border of uh, williamsburg and greenpoint and it's just like a happening area right on the east river and again, New York is kind of like the the ultimate melting pot of all kinds of people, so keeps it keeps it interesting and exciting. So you know, you mentioned discovery and all that. So let's talk about the story when you were on that one flight coming from Berkeley. I think you might have been flying down, and there's a guy that goes by the name of Mark Burnett, and he's like he's top tier when it comes to producing and all that, right? And you met someone who works within his company or whatever. And I mean, he, he's covered shows like Survivor and The Voice and stuff. I mean, big time shows. 
tell me about that story when you met the 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 person that you met and getting to the industry you're in right now yeah i was i was actually on a flight down from oakland to la to go to oma's birthday and um met a guy that worked for national geographic he was doing a he was doing a story up in squaw valley um on the ski patrol like canine unit and he was sitting right next to me i had a camera i was like leaning over him trying to film uh santa cruz because that's like where near where mavericks is which is a huge wave in northern california and um he grabbed my camera he was sitting on the window he's like hey man i was shooting this camera uh, up in Tahoe, let me help you out. So we got to talking. He told me he worked for National Geographic, I, and I was like, you know, working on the newspaper at Berkeley as a photographer. And I just had a dream of you know traveling the world, exploring different subcultures. And I gave him all my info. I was super hungry, and I'm just like, hey man, if you ever have yeah. anything come up, please hit me up. And two months later, he emailed me and he said one of his friends is looking for a camera assistant on Survivor that was going to be shooting in Thailand that summer. And this was my junior year in, at Berkeley. So I went down quickly to meet this cameraman, a guy named Michael Dean, and he was getting his vaccinations to go deep into the jungles of Asia. And we just hit it off. We had like a lot in common. And then a month later, I was on a plane to Thailand to be his camera assistant. And that was the beginning of my career in TV and film. What year is that? That was in 2001. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I had just come off of living in Spain where I was in San Sebastian. So I spoke Spanish fluently. Michael uh, worked for the AP in Colombia like during the full Escobar reign. And um, so we like had that common common interest in speaking Spanish and like South and Central America and then uh, yeah we basically traveled around Thailand for two weeks before the Survivor 5 started and my first day on the job I was in a jungle at like it was like 104 degrees and uh, on this island called Koh Taratau which was an old penal colony um, you know, like they used to have prisoners kind of like Alcatraz and it was right on the Malaysian Thai border. Super uh, incredible first job and kind of made you like pinch yourself when you have a dream and you have a mission of like telling stories and, you know, encountering different subcultures. And then I'm 21 years old on the set of Survivor with like a crew of 30 or 350 people living in a tent city on an island. It was awesome. That's so wild. Any good stories from like the cast or like any like jams you got into being on Survivor? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a couple. Yeah. <laughs> we, got, we got the time, let's do it. Uh, I definitely was like, you know, I was new to production, uh, but I was super hungry and eager to like do well and perform. Um, so yeah, all in all, it started pretty, pretty well, but I had never worked with these big beta cams. I was just like using my little, you know, my smaller camera to, you know, shoot photographs at Berkeley. And then also just like a, a little Sony that was like a kind of an entry level camera. I ended up working on these big cameras, um, and didn't really know shit and like, Michael Dean had to give me like a fast 
sort of course on like, yo, you're going to be my AC. You can't make me look like a dumbass. So, no pressure. but I made him look like a dumbass a couple of times. <laughs> so I had like, uh, the worst work wise, the two things I did, well, three, the, um, you know, 21 years old, never, never had a job, like a, a real job. And, um, one time we had like eight shot tapes that I put in my backpack and I also put water in the backpack. And so like this was kind of before um, cards, you know, like small, like waterproof cards. It was beta cam with tape. So I'm running around with these tapes in my back and the water explodes and the tapes, like eight tapes from the day leading up to a tribal council got like drenched with water. So that was like midway through our run. Never put water with yeah. anything electronic. Um, yeah, I also had like a Tarzan moment, which is pretty funny. I, I like really got into being in the jungle. I'd be barefoot, shirtless, just with like <laughs> only my on. my trunks. Yeah, my just leaf. A leaf. Feeling just a leaf. Pretty much. Like that's what I do too, you know? I mean, I do that in the living Swinging from vines. Well, that's just how us gets boys are. We roam Yay. around naked in our place all day long. Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> but but the bugs. Yeah, you don't want to deal with that. yeah, there's some bad bugs. But I did. I like had like a machete and I cut off a vine and I like started squeezing it and drinking it, thinking that it was like under a waterfall. Yeah, I thought I could just sort of like tap into the the source, but that vine I squeezed like basically went down like uh drinking a a glass of um like fiberglass what and and my like throat started swelling up and i quickly realized i was not tarzan and i I cut the wrong vine um and i go running up to my buddy uh michael dean my boss i'm like i i drank something i shouldn't have drank it He, he just like chewed me out like what the fuck you thinking man like and uh, he's like, off. he's like, he's like, go wash your mouth out and get the fuck away, you know. He's pissed. Put a shrug, get a bottle of water in you. But um, yeah, 21, you make some mistakes. I think that's what it's about. Like I also had two days off once. I went on a an epic journey back to my favorite place in Thailand, which is a, a place called Riley Beach, right next to Tone Sai. It's kind of like a climber's paradise in. Thailand, but it like it was like a maybe a seven hour journey in a back of a pickup to get there, and I was just like determined. I, it was basically like if you ever seen that old uh, Leonardo DiCaprio film, The Beach. It was yeah. kind of like that quintessential place, like most beautiful ladies and just like backpackers paradise. Mm-hmm. So I charged up two days off, and Michael Dean's just like, "Hey man, if you don't make the ferry." you're fired and i said oh no don't worry man i'll make the ferry no big deal so i charged up there i ended up drinking this um it's you drinking all this shit no this is actually oh, like thai thai rum oh, okay. or thai whiskey right. good that, <laughs> and pretty much i blacked out and and then didn't didn't catch my uh ferry back and we had like a a sunrise b-roll call but so that's like uh yeah, early morning, and I show up like on the first ferry over around seven thirty, and the, they I, you know two hours late to my call, and he took me on a long walk, and he's like, you know, if we were in LA, 
you would have been fired. But now I'm stuck with you. I'm no other. We're on an island. Like I don't know who else I can find. He's like, this is your last chance, bud. And oh. So, yeah, anyways. Do you guys May, still talk? Uh, Michael Dean and Michael, I, yeah. I. Yeah, you know, every once in a while. I haven't talked to him in a, a while. I did. I brought him on to a show I ran um, out in Hawaii a, a few years back. Yeah, he's a good, really good guy. He's still around and has some crazy stories. I mean, one thing you find on like in the adventure expedition dock world is there's it's a small tight circle that is just like so many colorful characters. And that's yeah, like my first day on Survivor, I remember meeting like um probably like the 10 most interesting people I had ever met in my life just right there on that beach that first day and it, it's pretty incredible opportunity i ended up writing my thesis about survivor and like the sociology of of um the the tribal dynamic and i kind of made my own major at berkeley kind of a hybrid between like journalism and sociology wow and yeah it's cool use those two seasons i ended up taking a semester off the following um semester in the fall and went and worked in the Amazon jungle and spent two months down there just outside of Manaus and didn't make as many mistakes that time. There you go. Yeah, I finally, I, yeah, I got it on lockdown. Again with our older brother, Peter Getz here today on the Arby Show podcast. You guys are one of the highlights of all the crazy travels, but um, yeah, my probably most, most memorable wilderness story was up in a small town in the north of Alaska in the Arctic called Kaktovik. It's a town of 200 people and a lot of polar bears. And they have this, um, because the sea ice is melting fast, the polar bears congregate out on uh, a peninsula where they leave the whale carcasses uh, after each whaling season. And that's basically like one of their main um, food sources. But once the the whale bones are you know chewed to to the bone, they start turning on the town. And we were there for Nat Geo doing a a polar grizzly bear investigation. It's like a hybrid bear between the grizzly and the polars that has emerged because of climate change, and these two species are coming together. But uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. I was up there on a project called Die Trying. It's about scientists that put their life on the line, um, you know, in in the field trying to do their studies. And we're following two bear experts, and uh, one of which got kind of pissed off in the whole production cycle, and he just, like, took a long walk, and we lost him. And uh, we were worried about him, and he disappeared for, like, 12 hours. And meanwhile, there's, like, the polar bear patrol trying to fend off all these polar bears that are coming into town. There was a, a mother and three cubs that kept on, like, trying to get into the center of the city. And then eventually this guy, Jason Matthews was his name, he came around and um, survived. But there were a, th- this family was following him as he was walking through the Arctic wilderness, and it was a little scary. And, um, but up there in Kaktovik, it was the first place that I really like encountered somebody that had a firsthand account of, uh, the effects of climate change. And this guy, Robert Thompson, he's been a long time polar bear guide, 
uh, guiding people for the last 20 years, and he told me how much the environment has changed. And it was his story that really affected me because, like, I think we always hear about this, like, uh, the sort of theoretical, scientific effects of climate change, but you never really meet somebody that's, like, truly affected by it. So Robert uh, showed me that, like, those more relatable stories of humans that are affected by climate change are the best ways to tell these stories, and that's what I'm doing today um, with this feature doc in Kenya. But the previous documentary that I did with in the in Mexico, uh, Blood on the Wall for National Geographic, that was like one of the crazier stories. Uh, we were following the uh, homicide beat in Acapulco, and we basically were going to like these crime scenes where we took photographs and documented this crime scene, a murder. And um, we basically like were racing down the main highway of Mexico. And this is a good way for you guys to come to Mexico, Mexico no, City I'm for, for New Year's. But yeah, Mexico is amazing. But this just was one. We kind of overstayed our welcome following these crazy um, crimes. And I was the only one that spoke Spanish like in on the storytelling side of our team. And, um, yeah, you, like, you interview a cartel leader, um, you know, and he was anonymous, and, like, we had a just a silhouette of the guy, but, you know, that he's, like, running things around that entire town. It's crazy. And it was, again, a way to connect to people, like, just, like, meeting that guy on a human level, understanding what, what his struggles were and, like, uh, how he was more or less like just trying to feed his family and survive um, and also wanted peace in the region so it's just yeah, each interaction teaches you something that you can like grow from and any any situation where you're yeah. like this is a close call like th i need to figure my way out of this yeah that i mean that's obviously one that one was one and then we figured out we had this guy that was like crazy getaway driver and basically like skirted this one the, the guy that was working for the cartel to uh, put us in basically left him in the dust and we were safe again and that was just a place like I basically figured we overstayed our welcome it was like our seventh time to Acapulco following the it's they call it the Noja the Nota Roja which is like the like the red beat, which is just, you know, means blood, basically. And we would roll up on crime scenes where there would be a body and no no police, no, no anybody. And mm -hmm. so you, um, yeah, it was just, that was scary. And at the same time, it's real, you know, shit's happening all around. And there's, in Acapulco, because there's so much instability amongst um, these, like, rival cartels, they extort the people. Like, if you're selling fish, you have to pay a quota. And if you don't pay that quota, you don't, you don't survive. So that's, that's really what's been happening a lot in like uh, Central America and why so many people join these caravans to find a better life here in America. And we walked with the caravan in 2018 all the way to the U.S. border and tracked four different family groups coming into the country and really got 
to like know these families and become friends with them and empathize with their plight and hear their stories and yeah it's it's always a trip like being exposed to that real life suffering and then coming back home and being so privileged and going to like Thanksgiving dinner mm -hmm. with your whole family and just talking about what you're grateful for and mm -hmm. it's a, a little bit of a culture shock but I think yeah it's I've been able to like see a lot of sides of humanity and it's taught me a lot and I feel uh, like I have a better understanding of the world for mm -hmm. it and really appreciate like how how fortunate we are but also want to like give back to people that uh, don't have it as cherry I want to bring up another thing you got into and you actually you got into making a documentary for Sofia Milanovic, a pro surfer out in Peru. And I have a couple friends actually from Peru and it's it's a very like small community. So when I brought that up to them, they're like, holy fuck, like, are you serious? That gal? She's big time out there. So I want you to dive into like what that experience was like and get to know her and making that documentary. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I was working on Survivor for about uh, five years from like, uh, yeah, 2001 to 2006. But like midway through, I was just kind of getting a little burnt out on the, f the like, you know, re repeatable format of Survivor. And I was seeking other kind of insp inspiring stories. And I met with uh, um, the head of like media out in at Quicksilver Roxy and they said that they had this girl Sofia Milanovic who's contending for the world title in female surfing and she's the first South American to ever be um, you know that high up on the leaderboard and so this was like I guess it was 2004 yeah de December November, December 2004, and I just decided to pursue it. So I went out to Hawaii and tracked her her road to the world championship and ended up um, capturing her win. And then we basically back-produced the whole film uh, to lead up and follow a photographer that was sent from Peru to capture her, um, you know, her journey. And and it was a she was like an unlikely hero surfing in Peru wasn't like the biggest thing at the time especially among women and she became kind of like this national hero uh, first woman to ever win a world title and it was it is a small community it's like the the little pocket dropping down there I, I worked on the film for two years and um, it did pretty well like we ended up winning best documentary named by surfer magazine that year and just it, it was a bilingual film so it's like it's so interesting that each each journey that you take in life kind of leads to the next and the fact that i lived in san sebastian spain uh gave me the ability to speak spanish so then when i went and and did this film in peru i was able to communicate with everybody and made this bilingual uh, film about sofia's sort of reign as a champion and also it was an inspirational story it was about another girl uh, from her community that she gifted a, a, um, her first surfboard to and, and like how that led to her future trajectory as one of the leading Peruvian surfers as well. And just like the nation as a whole like backed this woman and it's something that 
Yeah, in America, you never really see surfing as like a national sport. We have so many other things going on, but Peru, the Peruvians in like the early 2000s were all about surfing, and it was it was a really great departure from kind of the the everyday stuff that I was doing for Survivor. Cause sur- yeah, Survivor was like two survivors every year. We would be out for two months at a time, and then edit for about six to eight months. Didn't you win a, an award for that as well? Yeah, yeah, I mentioned that. I, 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 yeah, we, we won an award, the um, Surfer Pull Award, and then uh, did a full like festival run and won a few others. It, it was cool. It was great to get honored. It was cool to do like an independent film and really like have full autonomy over the creative process as my first, you know, first film I ever directed. And, um, yeah, got a look into like what making a film was like. Would you say that that put you on the map and getting your name out there in the media community with her? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think kind of a combo. Like, uh, I think Sophia was definitely the first time that people like, heard about me as a filmmaker um because before that you're just like when you're working on a show like survivor you're just kind of one of many a cog in a machine um an epic machine to be in traveling all over the world and seeing some crazy places but uh yeah i think that that started it and then i started you know i branched off from survivor and started show running and overseeing these different uh series for like national geographic discovery channel and then now, more recently, I've been focusing on feature documentaries and selling my own concepts that I can really believe in. Uh, it's all about like trying to make an impact. Like I think you're you're in an industry for 20 years, um, you start to think a little bit more about like what your legacy is going to be and like what stories you really want to tell to to help make the world a better place. Yeah, and I think Dusty Yeps, your producer, how are you? Um, I <laughs> thanks for uh, joining us, Peter. Yeah, it's appreciate it. Um, but uh, I think I, I think making that documentary was kind of like maybe a precursor to Backroads, you know, or, you know, like getting that spark of like not just doing the reality TV shows, but um, and making these really unique documentaries. But I think with with Peter, uh, maybe we didn't describe like he was kind of this mythical creature in, <laughs> inside of all our friends or if we would meet someone and tell them about Peter, but like he is the human Tarzan and uh, he travels around to, I don't even know what it is now, 90 something different countries that you've been to. And when you would swing on a vine when you'd come back and visit us. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I guess um, what you've been to so many countries and like you've been able to travel so much. One is like, where did you kind of get this like spark of curiosity to like travel and meet different people? I feel like you always want to talk to everyone and like anyone, and, like because like, I think you just believe there's a story there. Everyone has one, and like you're, and which I love. Like you've you've always been that guy to like kind of just say hello to whoever it is on the street. It could be Joe Buck too, or you know the bum or anyone, and uh, to see what their story is. So like kind of what sparked that, and then what are some of the favorite countries you've been to, and, and kind of why? Yeah, I mean I think. I think as a little kid, I was always really comfortable talking to adults, probably because I spent most of my time with adults, you know, like all you guys didn't come around until I was eight years old. And so I was just sort of like a solo, you know, kind of young adult hanging out with mom and dad and in different, you know, in their friend groups. And then I remember being like a little kid 
all my buddies would be like playing in the backyard and I'd just be sitting there like holding court, talking to the the family and the, the parents and catching up with them, you know? So I think I've always had like a, I've been able to just kind of connect with people early on because of that. And then, you know, I did journey with my mom when I was like two and a half, three, uh, to the Greek Isles. And we sailed around and went to all these different countries. And I remember like just being a little kid getting like passed around by the Italians, the Greeks, the, like people just like, I, I think really made me feel welcomed and loved. And, and I think that was something that always made me feel like I was, I was okay and comfortable in foreign places. And then, you know, cut to me going to Berkeley, working on a newspaper where I would go get sent out and just meet strangers and tell their story. Um, I think, yeah, I think we always have something to learn from anybody that we talk to. And like, I guess one thing that I think right now in in life in America, we are like so polarized. The, The fact that we're not talking to each other, like people just get so kind of caught in their echo chambers. That could, you know that's a terrible thing so like if we can sort of see past our differences open up a dialogue uh, and that's really the, the kind of documentaries I try to make now is just like to not only amplify voices that don't typically get heard but also make sure that like we don't just like take one side and not hear the other and I think that's really important so yeah I love I love traveling. I feel comfortable on the move. I think it has something to do with bouncing back and forth between two families. My my comfort zone is movement. And like we were talking about earlier with the pandemic and the lockdown, it was kind of nice to be like, oh, well, actually you can find comfort and stillness as well. And then as far as my favorite countries, like I, I fell in love with Brazil when I was working on the Amazon there. I learned how to speak Portuguese. And then I remember basically dog sitting for the production manager on Survivor. She had to like wrap the film, the filming up in, um, up in the north in the Amazon. And she had this really cool pad in Rio de Janeiro. And I just like, I, I left, you know, the set of Survivor, um, living in the jungle for two months and not really seeing anybody outside of that little stilted hotel that we lived on and then dropped into like the most fun happening city on the planet that I've ever experienced, Rio de Janeiro. And I lived in this place called Gavia. It's like Baixa Gavia. Every Tuesday and Thursday, like all the kids would basically spill into the roads and just have, they call it Festa da Rua. It's like a street party. And, you know, I had a dog that I was taking care of. I felt like I was full carioca. Like a, a, that's what they call people from Rio, cariocas. And just what I saw was like, I, you know, you make friends and then it just leads you to like the most incredible experiences going into like jumping off waterfalls up in the mountains to like crazy surf trips to long nights dancing and watching the sun come up. Like that was my, my younger years. So Brazil always like just kind of stole a piece of my heart. And I, after that, I ended up going every year for about 10 years. And ended up recording my first album down there and collaborating with um, this guy, Artur Maia, who was the bass player, one of the like most legendary bass players from Brazil. Uh, he played with Gilberto Gil, who's like a legend in his own right. He was the minister of culture down there. So all of a sudden, like Brazil, basically, I felt like a Californian like with a Brazilian heartbeat. It was pretty epic. 
Um, so Brazil is my favorite country. And then on Survivor, I went to this place called Vanuatu, which is an island nation that uh, is like just peppered with volcanoes. And I had like the most incredible time there. Um, literally like scaling the side of a volcano, watching like bus size molten lava flying from the guts of the earth. And just there's no like no rules in this place. There's no like signs like beware danger. You just go. It's black sand all the way up to the crater, and you're just watching the, like this massive volcano. It was called Yasur, and it was just exploding. And I even did a naked run, as a gets <laughs> as a gets boy would do. Um, from like early morning sunrise, I ran up to the top of the volcano and then just like took off my board shorts and just ran like sprinted down the the black sand and i'm sure some of the locals thought i maybe lost it but i really felt connected to earth hello now yeah i just got my my little bedroom in my kitchen i remember when you picked up a guitar and taught basically my buddy chase's brother ashton we were sitting in mom and dad's living room and you started strumming, and from there you started, you picked it up like nothing. Talk about that. I remember that like it was yesterday. And then where it took Yeah. You. I mean, I think I was always an athlete in my like high school years. And, you know, I felt creative and had these different creative outlets, but I never really picked up music. It was kind of like a piano lesson dropout, just couldn't sit still. And then when I went to college, I. I ended up meeting a girl named Samantha, Samantha Stallenwerk. She had a band called Shady Lady. And uh, she had like the most incredible uh, stage presence I saw at this place called Blake's on Telegraph. And I was like, man, I need to learn how to play the guitar. She's just like ripping, like full rocker. And I was a freshman and I was 20, you know, or I guess maybe younger. I was 18 or something. And I just decided that day I want to learn how to play guitar. So I started strumming. Like I, all my friends like hated hanging out with me because I would play like the shittiest songs, you know, like just trying to learn and was adamant. And then I started getting a little better, singing them songs. Um, and yeah, I've never become like a crazy accomplished musician. I'm still sort of a strumming fool. But I got into writing on the road on Survivor. I'd bring my guitar everywhere. I remember in Panama, it was my first time. Uh, recording and like hearing myself and I was like shit this is okay yeah. like it's not that bad and uh, so after Sophia I, I decided to try to be a musician and make some make some uh, songs and an album and I ended up doing a like a 13 song yeah. album recorded between LA and Brazil and it, yeah it was cool it was a fun chapter of life I think I was constantly straddling though like a dependable job working in film and tv and this like dream of playing music and being a rock star and i think i i you know i kind of like leaned on the safe route and it was in a way i think it it's pretty awesome to just have music as a hobby and be able to like not stress about trying to put food on the table with that um but it's fun music is like kind of medicine for the soul and it's yeah. a way to connect people and uh, also like capture different chapters of your life yeah and uh, it's never gonna go away i do gotta say you were probably the biggest singer in um 
12th grade journalism class at J. Sarah. Uh, Wait, two, to, two to tango would be played every day when we got into class. Wow. And so everyone knew who you were, and you know you should be proud. And it did pay <laughs> off. There you go. It did pay <laughs> off. <laughs> Hall of Fame. That's be walking down the hallway. People are seeing your song. At the lockers. Tango. Misto? Was it Misto? Yeah, so at high, my high school, yes, it was uh, it was that. But J.D. went to Whittier, great family friend, and he was in his uh, dorm room, and he hears, like, crystal ball playing. He goes, what the hell just happened? And he forgot that he put – he went into people's dorms and put your album oh on their God. computer. And then he forgot, though. Like, months later, I guess people just started listening, and, like, it was, like, their favorite – Band, like little person to listen to and he's like why is peter like playing through my halls he totally forgot about it. so you know we, boots on the ground like yeah. I mean, you got a lot of advocates for you out there uh listening send to the you. checks to venice what the fuck i've always yeah i've always preached appreciated the get support on the music you yeah. guys you guys are uh you've been pumping it since 2006 yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and even with the start of are we chill chill uh we played your your music for our intros and outros and yeah, then, and you'll probably hear a couple on this episode. Awesome. But getting to the family, and because you were eight, and I'm, oh, shit, I wasn't. I took a while to get born. But like having, he was a mini cat. Now the bobcat. Yeah. The bobcat. What was it kind of seeing that happen and <laughs> having him run around? Yeah, with you? popped up. And uh, and then eventually, you know, with Ashley and then Corey, then then me. But yeah, what, you guys just kept coming. Yeah, family yeah. grew. Good bless bless mom. But how was that kind of? I don't know, seeing that and, and yeah, getting a brother and, and especially Bobby as, <laughs> as yeah, a man, brother. I'm so sorry in advance. I am so sorry. Now, Bob, Bob was, he was a cool little kid. I, I remember, uh, yeah, just, I think that was at the Roland Hills house and when you were born. And um, I think I was like super pumped to have a, a little creature. And then also had like mixed feelings, like this little guy's yeah. getting a lot of attention. Yeah, I was gonna say. And I was like sort of, second class citizen but um Bittersweet. no but i yeah i remember baba had yeah he had just like had a lot of energy as he always did and uh, you know some of my fondest memories that were like when you guys were little and i was a teenager you know like uh once you you know bobby was eight and i was eight or 16 and then you know i remember he used to dance at my volleyball matches in front of like 500 people just he was like our mascot at yeah. at the Maricosta Mustangs in Manhattan Beach and just like was ripping it. The guy's like he was taking, you know, pages out of like Prince's playbook. <laughs> just and, and yeah, Michael Jackson doing his thing. Uh, but everybody loved those like halftime shows and then yeah, when Ash came and you know, having both you guys and just I think I learned how to uh you know, like I was saying earlier, like I would always communicate with the the older people as a little kid, and I think I was able to kind of live my youth through you guys mm-hmm. and through all my little siblings, like yeah. really kind of roughhousing, like just being silly and just yeah. you know trying to have a lot of fun. And I, you know, in the end, like now I've I'm the oldest of six, and that's. Your mom, mom, side had two. My, my uh, brother and sister, Cam and Cor, and then yeah. you guys, and yeah, just I think we had, I think mom and dad did a good job in like making me feel included, and I, I think that's, it's always tough, like being the only one of your breed, mm-hmm. and then sharing two families, but 
you know, I think there's so much love there. I always felt welcomed and, and um, yeah, and I, I also wasn't too, uh, I feel like I had a lot of crying babies in my life yes, in my did. teens and 20s. You're that like, for the real thing, pal. I was like, that's, that's why I'm holding off. I never really <laughs> oh needed God. it. Nice, yeah, we like that. And the Baba just diarrhea on my can couch. Can we check the couch no, to see if there's any good. stain no, on it? No, no, we're just no, no, Sounds like our stepsister Daria is coming knocking. Are we chill? though are we <laughs> yeah no that. man it's prepared you for a we're gonna get it we're gonna get a tum sponsor here in no time ah, yeah manscape and tum no it's cool yeah, like i think i am I, you know i i feel super comfortable with little kids like all the way from newborns to yeah. to just teenage rugrats and so i do feel like i'm i'm re- i'm ready i at least have the skills have the skills to be a to be a dad now. No. Now it's just a. It is true. I like, and I've, I we've all said it, but like I was like, dude, Pete's gonna be like the best dad ever because like it's, it's gonna be so fun. Like I think you're oh and, and you're gonna make your kids like jump in the water and, and see the world, and I think it's gonna uh, be great. Yeah. But please, I'm actually, get, this is not just Peter. This is like everyone here. Let's get going, okay? Yeah. Dustin, the youngest, is yeah. getting a lot of pressure. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Don't <laughs> actually don't do it. So yeah. you get more pressure. Yeah. Pal. And yeah. so. uh if that would be really well, nice I, as a older brothers to, you know, just get, take care of it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you my kids too. You could rustle them a little bit. So ladies, if you're hearing this, uh, submit your applications to the are we chill podcast at gmail.com and we'll, uh, we'll review them. <laughs> no, but, uh, getting, I guess not serious, but yep. one of the main reasons we, we started this podcast is brothers and getting the family involved and we've interviewed mom and dad and now now the last of pd finally got on the, the 21st episode hell yeah <laughs> was, 21 uh, yeah, 21 we 21st episode. we wanted them to be the first but you know schedules didn't work out but we did yeah. start it uh because of ash yes and you know the impact she not only made on our family but like everyone else and just kind of like how, how funny she was how smart she was but like the curiosity she had that i think you both shared of wanting to meet new people, like wanting to see the world. And unfortunately, Ash didn't have the chance to do that with kind of what the, the card she was dealt. But luckily she had you. And like, I think that was like the greatest thing of like having you around and, and because she would be FaceTiming you from like Fiji or something. And she was yeah. on the beach with you and, and you guys shared like a really beautiful, close relationship because of that. And just like your like-mindedness, but I don't know, I guess just speak on Ash a little bit and just, I don't know, just like how hilarious she was, but also just kind of like how she pushed, pushed you. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, Ash was always an inspiration. I think when I was, when I was traveling, uh, depending on like how she was doing, you know, if she was, if she was well or if she was sick, like she was always in the back of my mind to, to experience and, and live life to the fullest. I remember that one particular FaceTime in uh, in Fiji when she was in the hospital and just like taking her, showing her this beautiful island place that I know she would have loved to cruise and, and uh, experience. And it's hard not to get a little emotional. 
but uh we don't talk about it enough man and that's important to talk about and yeah no doubt out, man. no she's <clears throat> she's been like a a huge driving force for all of us i think to like honor her legacy and and her spirit and her laugh and just like yeah. um make sure that we hold ourselves accountable and really live the best life we can because we have the the honor of uh and the like ability to continue to live so um i think that is like one of the things like when you see uh, when you see a sister pass so so early um it's i think it's like a you feel a sort of duty to just like um not be lazy and like really try to make memories that will last a lifetime whether it's just within our inner circle of family or you know on your own in the spirit of adventure and curiosity so no ash has always been you know in my life and i have those moments when i'm uh on the road just like this kind of moments of stillness where there's like glimmers or signs of her and that's the best yeah she's watching over you all of us every single day and especially i, I know she appreciated when you were facetiming her and all of us you know from going to the hospital making her laugh but and all she wants is to have us as close as possible and even i'm sure she's smiling ear to ear with this today yeah and me staying in your couch and <laughs> you but no but in all seriousness like this is what she wants this is what yeah. she needs um she's breathing life into you dusty Corey, and myself every single day and we can't lose sight of that yeah no doubt and you know it's she loves it, you man. it's one of those things like i remember coming back i left uh, that one particular trip after Fiji, she was not doing so hot. Mm -hmm. I remember flying back, skipping out on uh, a project in Tasmania that was like we were the next spot we're going for this adventure show, and and just like spending a lot of time with her in Long Beach when she was sick, and you know like just giving her a whole lot of shit to just like do her best to you know walk up the stairs and walk down the hall and. I think she she appreciated me being there, but she also was like, "Get the fuck out of here! <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't need to, I don't need you as my personal trainer." But I think that also was like great because your relationship, because I don't know, like at least we wouldn't be calling you out when we were like younger and stuff. I think now now we do, but like she was the one in our family that would like give you shit, like to like shut the fuck up. <laughs> but I think she she also loved that like yeah you were pushing her and. Remember, like coming into the hospital and you're playing music for her too, which is which is great. Yeah, and even it is true though. Like when you get those quiet moments or like traveling. Luckily, I was uh, able to go on a trip with you, like a year ago. Even though getting bitten by leeches and uh, <laughs> having some gnarly panic attacks, but hey, like it's uh, part of the drill. Really messed me up for a year, you're, Pete. You're never traveling. <laughs> never, never. Well, hey, you had your therapist, Peter Gates, yeah, here. Yeah, never traveling with you again. But uh, yes, you will. No, yes, you will. No, no. Of course, I will. But uh, I think it was those like seeing those new places and and really feeling her of like just like driving and through New Mexico or Colorado, and it was like super special just to be able to do that with you. And 
I know she was looking out on us and, and stoked to do it. No, she had such an incredible, like, contagious spirit that, you know, I try to just, you know, we remember the times when she was struggling, but also those really beautiful times when we were just, like, you know, dressing up for Thanksgiving, uh, you know, like, jumping on the trampoline in the back, Sergeant Mosquito. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the boys used to, where did I get that name anyway? Probably Corey. I don't know, man. That was a, that's a good one. I don't know if you were like you were like jumping all over the beds, flying around like a fucking mosquito. I'm like, this guy is all over the place. He looks the like hair. a mosquito. And his hair is bouncing around. Yeah, I, I think that's what. Some odd uh, nicknames here, but just how, that's what I went with. Yeah, so. core coin sergeant mosquito. I think when it was the, I think it was when I used to like pulverize you guys on the, on the uh, <laughs> trampoline. You know, when you'd be jumping and I'd double jump you, and then you'd like fly off onto solid ground. Go, and yeah, I I might have been maybe not the like most gentle older brother. We needed it though. Yeah, yeah. We needed it though. That's for sure. How about the stampede? The the reverse stampede. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, walk us through, you walk us through us as kids going mm-hmm. to to fuck with the wild and all that. that You're like let's and we had it on you had it on oh, camera. We'll find Did it. Did I have one of those it was like, like Blair Witch Project? <laughs> oh, uh, we got goodness. it. Yeah, I mean, we've been going up to the Alisal Ranch since we were all little. Dad was up there when he was like five. I think it's been around for hundred years or something um but i remember i was the oldest by a long shot eight years and then well I is sarah seven. older than you or? Uh, no no i think you were the first out of the yeah, yeah the, oh, you, you and i are seven years oh we're seven because yeah. him and i are seven years okay um yeah you're 34 now yeah okay <laughs> sorry man yeah, Jeez. Years, yeah. now do the math i'm yeah. 41 we got this is a joke places we don't want them to you know, it is what it is. Yep. Give us that sense. I got, so the stampede, anyways, that, that was pretty funny memory because all the kids were like pretty sheltered little kids going up to the Alisal was like their biggest trip ever. And then I would take them on these walks and we went like, there's cattle all peppered around. And we happened to just like walk out after, I don't know if it was breakfast or lunch or something. And um, we were looking for... I made up this story that there was this one just beastly, ferocious bull hiding out in the cattle. And I think his name's Milford or something, right? right. And this, yeah, it's probably like 25 years ago. But um, we go and then everybody's like now hopping the fence into the cattle zone. And we're walking up this canyon and we're kind of following the, the cattle like there's sort of you know, skirting away from us. And then all of a sudden we like, they all, all the cattle turn and look at us and I'm like, reverse stampede, it's a reverse stampede. And all the little kids like totally freaked out, thought they were running with the bulls in Pamplona. And um, yeah, it goes so down in history. Behind, it's okay, you know? And That's yeah, did... No. Did uh, Corey get trampled? Corey's the first one. Corey, Sonny too. <laughs> no, I was like, I was the smartest one is what it was. I got the fuck over that fence in a blink of an eye. And you guys look back and I was already done. I was like, hey, I'm here. I, I'm good. Are you guys coming along or what? And I got shit for running so fast because I didn't want to get freaking hit. But I wasn't going to get hit. So 
It was like the, the dust settled, and then you just look and see G's already over the gate looking at us, talking shit. And he's like, <laughs> Corey's already reading the bunk, having a coffee. Yeah, he's chirping. Chirping, chirping these guys. He's chirping. Yeah, uh, Corey used to get a lot of shit because he couldn't put a worm, worm on, on the, the hook. hook see. And, and I was like, come hook, on, see. but he's... And I probably still can't, so we're not going to do that. He's always had a soft, soft side for the yeah. earthworm. Not a worm. Which guy. is nice, worms. man. Those things do, they, get, they take a beating. No, I think like now mom and dad are in solving. Yep. Like it's great. Like going up there and you feel it, you feel you feel ash, you feel everyone, all the memories. Because even when dad was going, like them putting, I think the statute limitations is up, but like them putting the golf cart in the pool, and that's why there's a fence around it. And then yep. just us causing all our shenanigans and playing baseball and all that stuff. So yeah. we definitely hold it near and dear. It's, it's awesome. It's like the best place to go. But definitely reminds us of old times with you know both ash mm -hmm. and then oh, omen opa yeah yeah they were absolutely it was everybody's like sweet spot where we all came together and just like let it all slow down and the the guests there always knew when the guests clan was in town we were noisy because we bingo dancing bingo dancing and even just singing songs yeah. even if we didn't know the words to them it's true yeah it. i've done that before yeah, good old sorry, Opa or Oma, yeah. King of the Road. I kind of butchered it the other year. How about how about when we play bingo and we have a lot of people there? And if it wasn't someone in our inner circle that would win, we'd boo the fuck. We'd boo them. We would shirt. We boo. Just raining, raining, raining shit on the guy. Well, poor kid, whoever it was, <laughs> traumatized though. Yeah, a couple of them. Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> the getses can be sort of bullies when Very it comes to bingo. So. Bingo bullies, Bingo but bullies. Justin Bingo. Yeah, we are definitely accept everyone and love everyone. I think going back, because you mentioned it, we have to. Thanksgiving and Christmas, which was taken on by Ash, she was like, I want to do something different. I think it would be hilarious if each, yeah, for Christmas, Thanksgiving, we'd dress up as characters. And like, I think one year it was like supervillains, one was superheroes, one was Disney characters. And we would have our long table set up in front of like the window. I think the neighbors were like, what the hell is wrong with these people? And we had Petey as like Captain America. I Dude. Think, I think Bobby was like an ugly well, stepsister. Yeah, but you got to remember like since we were kids, like when I do like we did Beauty and the Beast, he was... Dude, you were dressing up back then too, like Gaston. Were, what a fuck! Well, that was Gaston. Oh, that was Gaston. What was I the? You were the fucking Lemire, yeah. you're the candle guy. Oh, the okay. <laughs> you were such a sport. You're like, fuck, I gotta do this again. Oh wait, this is for like you're, Christmas pictures. Well, no, or, when I was like a fifth, like my fifth or sixth birthday, it was yeah. like Beauty and the Beast theme. <laughs> Ashley was yeah. Belle, I was the Beast, and you had to be like. The I was thirteen year old yeah. candle guy, like. And you had the whole thing on your head strapped to your chin, <laughs> all over the top. Yeah, and I'm reciting the whole damn story. I memorized it. Oh really? And I cried my eyes out when my buddy chap blew my candles out. Oh yeah, yeah. That's you were one, you've man. always been a little sensitive. Yeah, a little noisy, a little noisy, a little noisy. Still am a little noisy. No, it was yeah, chaos. What a, what a great sport, man. Yeah, when I was a teenager, it was chaos in the guest house. Like if you think about, it, like think 13. You so you're seven years younger, six, and then you guys just all follow. Oh. Oh, dust was just like a twinkle in the. Just a little twinkle in the eye. In the eye at some time. Well, mom and dad like have been getting their uh, old like uh, tapes, like you know, digitalized, oh, yeah. and um, we were like watching them, and it was like I like look at them, like I don't know how this was possible. Just like how, all the energy went from like Bobby just being one person, then like oh, yeah. all of us, it was just such a shit show, and the one is like. I was talking to my therapist and she was like, did, did your brothers beat you up at all? Like, did you have a rough childhood? Like, no, it was like super loving. Like I, I was fine. She's because, because I was like, I was like a really anxious 
kid. And, and, and I was like, ah, I'm good. And the mom was like, all right, let's watch, you know, like a couple days later, she's like, well, let's watch home videos. Oh, yeah. And I look at it and I got my ass kicked and I was just like, Bobby's slapping me around. He's like doing like a suplex on the trampoline with like jumping off a ladder. Corey's slapping me. And I was like, well, at least I had Ashley. Like she, she saved me. And then it she goes to Ashley and she's slapping the shit on my head. And she's like dragging me out of her room and throwing me to like, Are you the, serious? the wolves. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> they were all just jerks to me. But no, it's great. It was. I think it's like one of the most loving and and just like fun families to be a part of. It's the and, best and funny, like hilarious, and yeah. it's just like the stories that are endless with with all of us. And yeah, I think dad and mom's done a great job of kind of cultivating that. Yeah, and it's cool because like our house, I think with our friends and and you know they've they've either lost their parents or you know either you know the parents are separated, and we were always at house everyone would go to. You know, the mom and dad were that father and mother figure to them. And it was just always a riot. It was always fun. I mean, there was never a dull moment for sure. Yeah, we were nuts. We were nuts. So you, you spoke upon it earlier, Peter, but like how us as a tr- transitioning, our society right now, people do not talk to one another. It's instant gratification with the phones, social media, the likes. Where do you think we are right now as a world? And where can us as a world be getting better you kind of touched on it but maybe expand on that a little bit yeah i mean geez where are we as a world i think we're up against a really challenging time i think politically uh environmentally and um yeah you know i think we we are super connected through the interwebs and social media but like at the same time we're so far removed from one another so i do think there's um you know i'm curious like what i feel like you know i kind of grew up on the cusp of like transitioning from analog to digital society and i think we could learn from some of uh our predecessors as to like how to really come together and get everybody around the table to to communicate but you know i think humans like by nature can be somewhat greedy so um if in terms of the environment like if we don't all kind of come together and really take collective action to to change our systems and the way we work uh, to make sure that we can preserve this planet and not let it go let it burn up uh I think that's gonna, it's gonna have to come from everybody at home doing their part, um, and then, yeah, the polarizations of, of politics these days. I feel like it's just a matter of really um, trying to like tap into an element of empathy. Like I think people are caught in their echo chambers. They don't ever see the other side of the story, and that will like continue to be this terrible cycle where um, you really only like hang out with people that are politically affiliated with your way of thinking. And one thing I found like in working on documentaries and exploring the world, there's always two sides to the story. And if though if we can create a bridge between those two sides, that's like the best way forward and and not pass judgment and make sure that we we truly listen to one another and and be humble. Like I think when people think they're they know everything that's where we kind of are 
stagnant as a society and we don't grow and that we don't like seek progress but like if we're able to uh, really work together which you know I don't necessarily have the answer I think if people can start like living in the shoes of uh, the other side um, or at least spend more time and, and be more exposed to those kinds of lifestyles or challenges uh, well we'll become a better society and we will be chill in the end. We will be chill. No, I think the key word you said is uh, empathy, and that's super important. Selfless empathy, and probably just stop watching the news, honestly. And it instills fear and judgments to your point, and if you turn that off, I think we'd be a better place. Yeah, and I think that's like, as a documentary filmmaker, like I sort of change with the times. Like I'm, I've been now in a, a place where um, taking on projects that I really believe in. And so, like, when we were deep in the immigration crisis and, like, families were getting separated, like, I went down for HBO and did uh, this project, Torn Apart, Separated at the Border, and really, like, got a chance to see not only the immigrant side, but also the people uh, that live, like, in McAllen, Texas, where, where you know, families are divided like there's border patrol agents that live in the same house as people that are like working in the social services trying to reconnect families and it's like when a household can be um so polarized like obviously the nation's going to be polarized but i think you're right like watching these like very biased news channels that are echo chambers for their own sort of political you know um sort of purposes or their own political agendas is really not the way forward so i think docu watch documentaries like they oftentimes do offer two sides of the story and you can really like relate to characters by just witnessing the way they live and that is that empathy you talk about so i think the biggest struggle these days is to find peace in the world you know I mean, yeah. it's it's so hard. It's it's extremely difficult, and I think I like when you touch on the fact that like I think people are so wrapped up on their phones, you know, with social media, whichever platform your heart desires. Um, it's we have to be more engaging in person with anyone who's walking down the street. Like you said, it's it's not seen a lot these days, and I think it's hard for people to do that because they can't put their ego aside or maybe you know being vulnerable isn't the right way in their head and i think we've always been able to do that as a family as brothers as you know with our sister as well it's engaging being loving and and all the above towards the world and people yeah for sure i think yeah people are struggling with peace of mind and the peace and you know in the collective global community so you're right the more we communicate the better off we'll be and yeah, if we, love can heal it all if we just come together. Yeah, you just gotta start asking, are we chill? <laughs> That's right. Ah, we're. I'm not sure. We've got we've got we've got a lot of work to do, but I think I, you know, there's no sense in not being optimistic. Like once you turn pessimistic and you you don't believe there is a way forward, then there isn't one. So, I think humans have the capacity to find solutions, and if you think about it, like as time goes on, we are becoming a more peaceful society and more empathetic, more loving. And, um, you know, it all starts 
at the individual level, the family unit, and then we take that into the world, and that's that's what you project, and that's what's important. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm winding down a little bit here. Uh, what is next for you right now with you know the back roads with Dust and you and your team? I mean, what what do you guys got on the horizon coming up? Um, we're we're balancing a couple of different projects, like a few in the adventure space, which uh, are always fun. You know, like we've got a project showcasing these big kind of survival vehicles that go on crazy expeditions. Um, that's kind of what puts the food on the table. And then I'm telling these stories of uh, conservation and climate change in the north of Kenya, showing sort of the human collateral damage of a resource war that's going on in northern Kenya, but also kind of happening all across the world. And I think it's important, like one thing with climate change in particular, like we've seen so many like doom and gloom films that are just like telling us how fucked we are as a society. And I feel like we're exhausted from that kind of um, storytelling. So like the more we can relate to people that are suffering in these places and see a little bit of us and them again to empathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've created this like coming of age story of uh, watching a, a young 13 year old um, kind of go through a big hurdle in his life uh, with losing his father and trying to make sense of it and grief and um, and in that like there is in the background as kind of a backbone of the whole film is a story of conservation and climate change because his dad was a lead tour guide at a nature conservancy but i want to just keep on telling stories that make a difference impact the world in a positive way like helping the environment helping people and from a kind of social justice standpoint and um yeah just look out for fellow humans like the I think that's kind of why I've been put on this earth and I really love telling stories and meeting strangers and and finding the common thread and I think I want to continue to do that you know to the grave so uh yeah I think we all have something to teach people and like losing ash for instance is one thing that obviously rattled our family and us like at the core but we can like when other people are going through similar loss like we have the tools to offer them uh, a certain kind of perspective Mm -hmm. and i think like every experience that we have in life we're able to grow from it and and build build better upon it and and then pass those tools on to whether it's our friends our family our kids like ultimately that's what the human experience is all about so in closing with me um yeah, that's incredible. This has been fun today, you know? Finally, we get up here and had some fun with you. And we're going to continue to have some fun getting on these bikes soon. But in closing, I just want to say, you know, you said it. You want to make a positive impact on the world with your, your craft, your passion. And I think just watching your journey growing up in your industry and your travel has been so inspiring, man. And for us, like, you know, after losing Ash, I mean, our perspectives on life has changed. And... Um, we're not given uh, tomorrow uh, to live. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. So you have to go after the passions that you have and what you love, and um, and that's what we're doing, and that's why we're doing this podcast. And um, you know, it's been so much fun, and 
um, we're just so happy to be here with you. And we love you, man. Yeah, I love you too. I love you guys. I'm, I'm proud of what you guys have created with this thing. I think you do have a, a real authentic dynamic together. And seeing you passionate about something is it's the best gift an you know, older brother can see. So keep at it. And you're telling cool stories. You're tapping into a lot of different you know, colors of life. And that's what it's all about. I think we're going to continue to learn and be great better people day by day and really live it up i think the, the next episode with peter though we should be in a different country hanging from a, a tree and we'll be doing our podcast from there drinking some some nature's uh, syrup <laughs> sounds good no yeah you guys gotta get out i think we're, like we've talked about a brother trip for yeah. a long time or, or a, I, a 5k or a 10k yeah I'm a 5K. you think you think we can do that triathlon yeah, for uh, march 5th for <laughs> ash i just had a little pizza today so oh. no, we, yeah we'll be doing a triathlon maybe we'll do a march podcast after after the oh. I, march 5th boys All like right. i i have a i also have a solution maybe we can do a relay i'll swim for you yeah yeah one of you guys ride the bike on one we'll you run on back the entire time yeah you just drag you <laughs> No, no I, but we do have to try. That'd be fun, but I do want you guys to try to like get out of your comfort zone a little 100%. bit, and and if I can inspire that, let's let's make a plan. We can even just drive across the border down to Mexico. You guys will be all right. Yeah, I don't know about that. But <laughs> is, we'll is, talk is about there Ritz Carlton? Yeah, in Mexico? you got something nice? Cabo got got hot towels, towels. Anyway, a bit of a day. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you guys so scared of Mexico? No, you can blame mom. Blame mom. <laughs> Blame she got mine Revenge. Oh, uh, no, that'd be fun. Let's do it. I'm not one of them. Uh, oh. Oh. I'm not scared. Tough guy. Yeah. No, yeah, Coors has some. Traveler, baby. Yeah, no, that is a good point, mister. Yeah. Come on, dude. Coors, yeah. Coors, yeah. Have no, you guys no, no, told no, those stories? Yeah, oh, Jesus, you went to Italy. Italy and London by myself. Yeah. Uh, good yeah. point. Bobcat. Yeah, good point. Good point. Bobcat. <laughs> good point. Um, All right. Yeah, Corey's got a little like he's got no, that. Corey, flair. Yeah, Corey's got a little itch like you do. I think we I think you got it too, Bobcat. We just need to get you out there. Get give you me, out of the give me, give me the right diaper. We won't we won't we won't throw you in the water. No, no, we know you don't like pearls. the spot. Okay. Um, but yeah, thanks for all the nice words about the pod. But we want you a part of it as well. And I know Ashley is looking down at us right now so happy she's laughing she's head loving off. This, i can man. hear i can hear it echoing she's in laughing, the distance. cackling from heaven um we love you man Sweet you Ash. got that common presence about you and we just got to do more and more and more of this so yeah i love yeah. you brother love finally, you too, finally got everyone in venice who no who shit God, we're gonna die tonight <laughs> holy <laughs> shit now we gotta go oh. hit hit the beach cruisers yeah i got butt patch for these bikes all right I, go. I got you on my pegs you don't all even right. have to drive well, yeah <laughs> big, <laughs> big cats on the holiday uh fur right now so let's not get on the pegs <laughs> we love you thanks for joining the rb truck podcast talk to you soon brother you so this song i wrote uh, at the beginning of the lockdown it's called Don't You Fear. Updates, boys, like these thoughts run across my mind. So much trouble in the world Why so many travel blind These days cooped up Our lives in uncertainty 
this time of grief we gotta lean on humanity don't you fear we're gonna overcome it all don't you fear we're gonna Don't you fear We're gonna overcome it all Don't you fear We're gonna overcome As we suffer I say this whole world gotta believe From backyards balconies We're all in This gloomy storm shall pass, yeah, we'll part the seas Sit back, relax, reflect and even plant some trees Don't you fear, we're gonna overcome it all Don't you fear, we're gonna overcome Don't you fear we're gonna overcome it all Don't you fear Don't you fear You <laughs> Yeah